time that we have Moses speaking his final sermon, his final message to be delivered to the people. And in doing so, he has declared for them up to this point a reminder about the blessings and the curses and has told them for their need for obedience when they come into the land. In fact, to remember it, they would go on Mount Ebal and place there uh, large stones that would have these commandments written upon them and these curses written upon them to remind them of all that God would do against them if they disobeyed, but would also do for them if they would obey. And in chapter 29, you get the sense that Moses knows, as he's going to continue on, that they're not going to do what God says. He pointed out in chapter 29 in verse 4 that up to this point, though they have seen all the mighty works of God, they do not have a heart to understand, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. And so ultimately they are going to fail at what God has called them to do. And that now brings us to the finale of this sermon and the final words that he is now preaching to them before he's going to then have his life taken by God and then Joshua take over for them. So you notice in chapter 30 of Deuteronomy now what Moses then tells, tells them as he continues in his sermon. Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey His voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Now notice how Moses begins this in describing essentially the failures and successes that are about to come upon them. What a transition statement as he says to them, now when all this comes upon you. So there is really no hope for success in what Moses has preached to them in regarding the blessings of obedience. He says, well, blessings are going to come upon you, but the curses are also going to come upon you. This reaches back to chapter 28, where Moses declared and predicted that these things were going to come upon them. And here again, it's being emphasized by Moses, you are going to fail. You are not going to do this because you do not have the right heart. And yet in the midst of declaring that to them, notice that you see Moses say in verse 2, that well, at the end of verse 1, they're going to call to mind while they're in all these nations where the Lord has driven them, they're going to recall all this to mind. It's suddenly going to dawn upon them. A light bulb is going to go off after they go into exile. And verse 2, you will return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and you will obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul. So there is a picture that the people are going to realize what they've done. And they're going to desire to worship God again and serve God again. They're going to desire then to return to the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. 
And when the people do that, verse 3, the Lord says, I'm going to restore your fortunes. I'm going to have mercy on you. And I'm going to gather you from where all the peoples of all the nations, wherever you've been, I'm going to gather you all back in. This is a very important prophecy. And the reason why I want to zero in on this prophecy is because this is pivotal to the whole of the New Testament. That Moses is speaking to Israel and saying, they're going to enter into this promised land. And they are going to fail abysmally. And they are going to have the blessings and the curses come upon them to such a degree that they're going to be taken off of the land. And then when they are taken off the land and they are put into the exile and they are scattered among the nations, at some point, the people are going to desire to return to God. And they're going to desire to serve God with all of their heart and soul. And when they do, God is going to do these three things. He is going to restore their fortunes, have mercy on them, and gather them back in again. This prophetic hope of restoration is huge in the New Testament as well as the prophets of the Old Testament. All of the passages that I up there just trying to overwhelm you that each of those passages, the prophet speaks of God restoring their fortunes. And this comes off of Deuteronomy 30. That Moses says that one day there's going to be a restoration. One day God is going to bring all the people back. He's going to have mercy upon them. They will be His people again. And He's going to restore all their fortunes. And Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Nahum, Zephaniah, they all say this. That there's going to be this restoring of the fortunes of Israel. And if you remember when you come into the New Testament... You see the same thing where Jesus comes along in Matthew 17. And remember that he tells them when Elijah comes, he's going to restore all things. A restoration. And then remember, Jesus says, Elijah's already come and John the baptizer. And so there is this hope of restoration that's going to come. You might remember how Acts opens. And you have the apostles and they are asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And they are not asking anything that is incorrect there. That is the hope of Israel. That is what Moses said was going to happen. It's what the vast majority of the prophets said was going to happen is that this kingdom would be restored and God would restore his fortunes. And and those apostles are asking Jesus in Acts 1, is it now that you're going to do that? And in fact, when you get out to Peter's sermon, his second one in Acts 3, listen to what he is proclaiming. Peter says to the people there, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. 
Notice Peter is driving on that and saying this is what Moses was talking about, what all the prophets were talking about, is this time of restoration. Therefore, you all need to repent is what he goes around preaching to these people because now is that time. Now is the beginning of that. This idea of restoration then was not a false notion, but it really was the hope for all of Israel and it was the hope for all the world. You might remember that you have Simeon and Anna there in the early days there of of Luke's gospel where Jesus is being presented at the temple and they are hoping for the redemption of Israel this restoration of what they are is what they are looking for and so I what I want you to see is that the New Testament was looking forward to that restoration now I want to really hit that because when we read in days of Zerubbabel and the days of Ezra and the days of Nehemiah, that the people are coming back into the land. That's not the restoration that God was talking about. That's not the hope that is being presented. I could use already a verse that we've just read, never mind the rest of it that we'll just see. But let me just use the verse that we've already read. That they will then uh, obey God's voice with all their heart and all their soul. No, that's not what happened in that restoration when Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah come back. In fact, so negatively was that the case, God had to send prophets again, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, because they were not doing that very thing. That was not what the restoration was pointing to. And if you listen to the rest of what it says here, you'll see that that's not what the hope was. Verse 4 of Deuteronomy 30. If your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you from there and He'll take you there. Take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And I just asked, did that happen with Ezra or Zerubbabel or Nehemiah? It did not. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep His commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will take uh, again take delight in prospering you as He took delight in your fathers when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep His commandments and His statutes that are written in the, this book of the law when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. This is the interesting thing is that as you read the return from exile, you see the beginning points, but none of these things are happening. We don't see them becoming numerous. We don't see them prospering. We don't see the enemies being subjugated. It's what they were looking forward to, and yet Persia rules over them. Greece rules over them. Rome rules over them. Everybody rules over them. We aren't seeing the fulfillment of these things that God was predicting was was going to happen. In particular, you'll notice what God is putting His finger on through the mouth of Moses in verse 6 when it says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart. 
That is the big deal of what is going to happen when this restoration occurs. When you then come to your senses and you seek the Lord again and there is the restoration of fortunes, then here is what's going to happen. God Himself is going to circumcise your heart. This parallels what we looked at this morning where Jeremiah says God will write His laws on the people's hearts. And He will put it on their minds so that they will be His God, be their, His God, and God will be, uh, He will be their God, and, and God will be for them. And, and I think that's important because remember what Deuteronomy said. Moses told the people, circumcise your hearts. You need to circumcise your hearts. And then He told them in chapter 29, you don't have that heart. <laughs> One of the early sermons was, everybody circumcise your hearts. And then his final sermon is, you didn't do that. You haven't seen in all the time that we've been out here what God is doing. And the picture that I believe Moses is communicating to them is trying to get them to understand that they are going to completely fail and that God is going to have to do something. That the issue is not, in essence, that they don't have the ability to do this, but the problem is they don't have the heart. The problem is that they do not have the desire. Their hearts are stubborn. Their hearts are not circumcised. Their hearts don't see what God has done. And so because of that, while God comes along and says, I'm going to provide a solution, God says, I'm going to cut the heart. Rather than the people circumcising their hearts, God now says, I'm going to be the one to do it. I'm going to circumcise the heart. I'm going to cut the heart. And as we considered this morning, so you see it layered here. God's message was not a message of you blew it and so judgment comes. But then saying once all the blessings and the curses do come upon you, The final message of God is restoration. There's going to be a restoring that happens. That God is going to redeem His people. That He's going to save them. This echoes what the Apostle Paul would declare in Romans chapter 5 when speaking and saying, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here is Moses saying, you are going to fail in a cataclysmic way. Because he says, The Lord's going to drive you to the far nations. Well, we saw that was the essence of the curses of chapter 28. Chapter 28 said, here you disobey. It's going to get to such a degree that you're going to be cast off the land and put into exile. And now Moses says, and that's going to happen. And yet, even with that happening, God doesn't ever want to leave it there. But now gives a message of hope, a message of restoration, that there will be an opportunity for God's people to return to Him. So this is the beginning hope. And now Moses is going to explore exactly what that looks like here. Verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. 
and in your heart so that you can do it. I want you to get a sense of what Moses now says. This is, I think, a fascinating turn of events because what he is doing is he goes, okay, you all are going to fail. You're going to go into exile. The blessings and the curses are all going to come upon you. And you're going to be sent off the land. But then when you're in exile, there will be a people who are going to realize that they want to return to God and God is going to restore their fortunes. And then Moses comes along and simply says, But I want you to realize where the problem lies. And the problem is not that the demands of God's covenant are too difficult. And you see that there in verse 11. This commandment that I command you today. Here's Moses. I've just laid this all out for you of how this is all going to go. And he says, this commandment that I've commanded you today is not too hard. (laughs) <laughs> it's not too hard for you. And then notice he doesn't say, he says, neither is it far off. It's not too difficult. It's not out of reach. It's not something that's completely unattainable or completely impossible or completely impractical or unachievable or any of those kinds of things. Moses says, I've given you the law. I've given you the blessings and the curses. And you can do it. Problem is not ability. This is not something that's impossible. In fact, he continues in verse 12. It's not that it is so far away as to be in heaven that you would say, well, who's going to ascend to heaven and bring it down for us? You get the picture of impossibility. It says it's not out of your reach. It's not something impossible. It's not something that you cannot do. You are able to do it. In fact, that's what he says in verse 14. The Word is very near you. It's not far off. It's not difficult. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The problem that Moses has identified in these two chapters is to the people, the issue is that you don't have the heart to do it. Ultimately, it's that you don't want to. Because what he says is that what needs to happen is that the covenant needs to be in their mouth and in their heart. It needs to be emblazoned into their minds and emblazoned upon their heart. And then they will do it. But the problem is the people don't want to do that. And Moses knows that. That's what he said in chapter 29. The Lord has not given you a heart for you to see or to hear, or to understand. But he points out, this isn't a failure on God's part. The law is near you. The covenant is near you. The command is near you. It is not impractical or too difficult. Now what I would like for you to see is if you will hold your hand here or put a ribbon here, and I'd like for you to go over to Romans because Paul seizes this passage and just explodes it into the New Testament. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. And if you recall our context, we have Romans 9, 10, and 11 speaking about Israel and speaking about how they have not attained to what God had wanted them to attain. Like in chapter 10, verse 3, they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. And not then submitting to God's righteousness. Verse 5 is where we pick up as he speaks about what Moses said here in Deuteronomy 30. 
Romans 10 verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. Now here's Paul's commentary. That is to bring Christ down. Or who will ascend into the abyss, descend into the abyss. And now notice Paul's commentary. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. All right. Huge right here. Huge quotation that the Apostle Paul gives. Let's break down what Paul is doing as he is commenting on what Moses said. He says, let's remember how how it goes. The first covenant, what is righteousness? Do the law. We see that over and over again. You want righteousness under the first covenant? Do exactly what it says. That's what he says in verse 5. Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. And what is that? The person who does them shall live. But now notice verse 6. Righteousness based on faith says, and now he quotes Deuteronomy 30 as the righteousness that's based on faith. Here is what Moses is doing as he is proclaiming what it's going to look like under the new covenant, what God's people are going to be. And here is how righteousness comes. Righteousness is not going to come from the people themselves saying, here's all I'm going to do to attain righteousness. Instead, the righteousness of faith sees what God has done. And notice that's how he illustrates it with the quotation. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And notice how he brings that in the New Test into the New Testament. Who is going to bring Christ down? Because that's what we need. If we are going to have righteousness, if we're going to have salvation, if we're going to be these people of God, we need Christ to come down. And the rest of it, as he says there, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. In both of these, you see Moses and the Apostle Paul hanging on these words and say, it is not something that you were going to do to accomplish this righteousness. Rather, God is going to accomplish it. God is going to be the one to bring Christ down. You don't have to say, who's going to bring Christ down for me? God's going to do it. And who is going to go into the abyss to raise Christ up? You're not going to do that. God's going to do that. This is the righteousness based on faith. Now, why is this put here like this? Because, friends, this is how God is going to circumcise hearts. This is the miracle that God is going to accomplish. That is supposed to cut people's hearts. So that they 
will be what God wants them to be. This will cause them to obey his laws as Ezekiel prophesies. This will put the law in their hearts and on their minds as Moses says they must do in Deuteronomy 30 after they have failed and they've been exiled away. Here's what God's people are going to do. They are going to have God's law in their hearts and in their minds. Well, what's going to cause them to do that? Well, Moses says... God is going to circumcise your hearts. All right. Well, what does that look like? It looks like this. Now, he is going to send Christ down for us and then raise Christ from the dead. Friends, this is why the good news, the gospel, always centers around the arrival of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. This is why the gospel message squarely rests upon the descending of Christ, the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. Because that is the tool that God is using to circumcise hearts. This is how He's going to cause the heart change that the people need to have. This is the act that God is going to accomplish so that God's laws would always be written on our hearts and always be written on our minds. This is what God is trying to do to get the people to see. Which think about, this is what Moses is saying to them in parallel. In chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, it was, have you seen all the miracles of God? And yet you don't have a heart to understand. And therefore you will be sent off into exile. And then down the road, God is going to circumcise hearts. And how's he going to do? He's going to do the same thing, this grand miracle. And the people who see it and understand what God has done, they will be the ones who are cut to the heart. They will be the ones who are circumcised in the heart. They will be the ones who will love the Lord their God with all of their heart and soul. They will be the ones who will do all that God has said. They will be so moved by what God has done and see what God has accomplished that that is what will cause them to be the people of God. We don't have to bring Christ up or bring Christ down. God has done the work and that is the good news for us. Now, I want to sit here in Romans 10 just for a minute just to make this point. I hope when we put verses 5 through 9 back into the Deuteronomy 30 context, there is absolutely no way that what the Apostle Paul means now as he comes comes to verse 9 and says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. As if that's all that was ever entailed to being a follower of Jesus was just confess that Jesus rose from the dead. That's not at all what the sum of Deuteronomy 30 is about. Nor is it the point of what Paul is getting at. This quotation is saying God has changed their hearts. He has accomplished the work. He has cut the heart. He has circumcised the heart. And by God cutting those hearts, what are the people going to do? They're going to believe with all of their heart. They're confessing Jesus to be the Son of God. And it's going to be evident in all of their lives. 
For anyone to downgrade what Paul says into somebody saying a formula or having some kind of prayer or I believe in Jesus, that is not at all, not at all what's in view. What's in view here is what Moses was proclaiming. Moses is proclaiming these shallow hearts are going to be ditched and the true people of God are going to be circumcised by God himself in the heart. And they are going to love Him with all their heart and with all their soul. And what will be the evidence of that? They will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God has raised Him from the dead. And they will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This is the kind of belief that Paul is referring to. Is so delighting in God from a changed, circumcised, transformed heart that their mouths now reflect it. Everything they say is belief toward Christ, confession of Christ. It is the fruit of their lips because what did Moses say? That the word would be where? On your heart and where? On your mouth. My people will have their word, my word, always in their heart and on their mouth. And Paul seizes on that here and says, that's changed heart. It's going to be evident. That's going to be fruit. And God is going to make that possible. God is going to make that happen. So that when you come into the New Testament, the same truth could be applied to us. Is the covenant too difficult that we can say that it's too far away and we can't do it? Not at all. The same message has come to us. The message of salvation is, is, is to us. It is not too hard for us. It is not far away from us because God has brought Christ down and God has brought raised Christ up. And so therefore the word is very near us. It is in our mouth and in our hearts so that we can do it. This is what Moses is talking about. It is amazing that as Moses is proclaiming this sermon, he has this New Testament vision of what it's going to look like when the new people of God arise and what God is going to accomplish for them and how Paul then uses that to show that very truth. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 verse 15 now here's his big conclusion see I have set before you today life and good death and evil if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God I command you today by loving the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it but if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life 
that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice and holding fast to Him, for He is your life and your length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. He lays it out and simply says, you now have a choice that is set before you. You have to now decide. You can either have life by obeying and enjoying the the blessings of God. Enjoy what God has to offer. Do what God says and enjoy the fruit of that life. God wants to bless you. He wants to do good by you. Choose to then go the right path and follow Him. But if you allow your hearts to be turned away, to follow after other desires, to follow after other wishes and wants, to follow after the idols of the world. Moses says, you will surely perish. Your doom is certainly upon you. And now he calls for them, choose life. What does that look like? How do you choose life? And he expressed it. Love the Lord your God. Obey His voice. Hold fast to Him. Because He is your life. He is your everything. This is the choice that is put before the people. Let God be your life. Let God be your length of days. In spite of the predicted failure of Israel, here is Moses pleading with the people, choose life and don't give up. Do not choose to go your own way. Don't choose the idolatrous path. Don't choose the life of sin. I'm giving you the option of life before God. And then the hope that was given in chapter 30, restoration is going to be possible. Judgment doesn't have to be the final word. There would be a way for there to be hope, to be restored back to God. And I think it is important for us to see how the New Testament just seizes upon this very idea. You come into the New Testament and we read about Peter's first sermon, and it is not by any accident that when they listen to Peter proclaim the message, the text tells us in Acts 2.37, they are cut to the heart. There is going to be a dramatic, radical shift as now God is writing His words on the heart of the people. They are cut to the heart. Their hearts are being circumcised. And you see then the message of Jesus being proclaimed and hearts are being opened. We refer to this in the Wednesday Bible class where we speak of Lydia and her heart was opened and she obeyed the gospel. What's happening? God is writing his word on their hearts. Here they are having cut hearts, open hearts. You have Romans 5.5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What is that talking about? Something mystical? Not at all. The word of God cutting into the hearts of people. The message of the good news that Christ has come down and has risen from the dead and gone back to the Father is the message and that is the revealing of the love of God that is being etched into our hearts. Or Ephesians 3.17 where it says that Christ lives in our hearts through faith. It's the same idea being pictured of we are completely moved by what God has done through Christ 
to bring in our Sunday morning study over the past few months. Was the writer of Hebrews said over and over again, do not harden your hearts as on the day of the rebellion. And the question that Moses brings out that is put before those people and are put before us. Which will you choose? That scene in Acts is amazing. In Acts 2, because you have peoples from all over the earth, all under heaven, coming to Jerusalem, just like this text in Deuteronomy 30 says, having cut hearts before God and entering into the kingdom of God through their submission to Jesus Christ. That's what is being portrayed. Everything that God was promising is that the outcasts will return. They will be gathered back to the land and God is going to bless them. God is going to make them prosper. He's going to circumcise their hearts and that they are going to now love the Lord their God with all their heart and that God is going to delight in making them prosper. That is the hope of the people of God. And for me, I just found it absolutely stunning that Moses, as he ends his sermon, he just says, this is the way it's all going to go. Present Israel is going to fail. But one day God is going to restore the fortunes of his people. Just as the prophets predicted. And as the restoration occurs, we are called to belong to the restoration process. To enjoy what God is doing in the world through His Son. In calling all people to come back to Him. To enjoy new life. To enjoy the blessings. To enjoy all that God has to offer in relationship to Him. And I hope that you'll think about the decision that Moses has presented. We have the choice of life that's before us. Choose to follow the Lord your God and allow the motivation of your obedience and your love and your submission to be that God did what we could not do in bringing Christ down and bringing Christ back up. The other option, as Moses says, is to follow the desires of our heart and follow the idols of the world and you will surely perish. Can we help you in any way come to the Lord this very night to turn away from your sins and follow him faithfully. Won't you come and do that while we stand and while we sing?